Hello and welcome to Watkins Wise Words, a podcast that celebrates conscious, passionate, wise and happy living. Thank you for tuning in and here is your host. So hello and welcome. My name is Steve Bell and today I'm speaking with Nicholas Hager on his book The Secret American Destiny. Now Nicholas has written more than 40 books He is a philosopher, historian, poet, man of letters, and has been described as a Renaissance-style polymath. He has been awarded the Goosey Prize, Peace Prize, in 2016, which is the Asian version of our Nobel Prize. And his latest book is The Secret American Destiny, which is the the third in a trilogy. So, Nicholas, welcome to you. Hello. So, Nicholas, uh, this being the third book in a trilogy, can you just bring us up to speed with the other two books? Yes, the first book came out in 2007, 2008, that sort of time, 2007, The Secret Founding of America, and it deals with the founding of America in 1607 uh, and the role of Freemasonry shortly afterwards and how that uh, extended to today and influenced the New World Order, which is a group of families who have tended to loot the world for gas and oil. And that's an aspect of globalism that I'm not interested in, or at least don't support. Uh, The second one was The Secret American Dream, um, which looked at the first two years of Obama's speeches and found that uh, just as the American dream was to go to America as an immigrant and make it and have a family and do all the things that are beyond the dream of many refugees and immigrants today, so um, Obama would like to extend that to all humankind, that level of prosperity. So that's where what the second book is establishing. And then the third book, this one, is carrying it forward um, and seeing America's ambition, um, traditional ambition, to found a world state. And wearing my history hat, I've looked at the history of civilizations Um, If you look at the history of the Roman civilization, all the civilizations have an empire, and the Roman Empire uh, is a kind of world state. And in the past, all the world states have happened within individual civilizations. Um, And it needs a a very strong, great power to get a world state off the ground, traditionally. Mm. Um, We're looking at doing it by consent um, today, not by conquest, as all the previous attempts from Alexander the Great to Hitler um, have tended to be. Um, but it, 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 it is possible to, for, for a great power to lend support in, for example, the UN and to get a world state off the ground. And I'm talking about a democratic world state. Yeah. Um, there's a tradition in the 20th century after the atomic bomb in, or bombs in 1945, um, there was a tradition of calling for a democratic world state. Churchill called for it. President Truman, who was aghast at the nuclear bombs that he um, had caused, called for it. Uh, Einstein, uh, Eisenhower, Russell, Gandhi, Gorbachev, men, many great men have called for this democratic world state um, with, a, with a federal element that would be able to abolish war and impose disarmament and uh, retrieve the nuclear situation and get back to how it was before 1945. But in the 20th century, I seem to be the only Western literary author to carry this tradition forward. And um, 
I've been awarded the Goosey Peace Prize 2016 for literature. But when I go to Manila um, and uh, there's a big global event on November the 23rd, that's what I shall be homing in on, that my two poetic epics, uh, one about the Second World War and one about the War on Terror, that was Overlord and Armageddon, both long epics, 41,000 lines of blank verse, the first one, and 26,000 the second one. Mm. Both these have a, an underlying dream of of a, 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 an age or an era of world peace. So although I've written extensively about war and within war, um, that's been the underlying um, dream. Great, thank you. Well, you mentioned um, in one of the earlier books you, you talked about these families who are kind of very wealthy. And on social media, there's a, a lot of kind of conspiracy theorists who worry about one world order. What do, what do you think about their kind of concerns? I think uh, they're probably valid. Um, in the chart that uh, you can read in my new book on page 188, The Structure of the World State, you'll see that they are a box in the flow of boxes in, in how the new world state will be and um, they won't have any impact, they're under a, a world openness committee so they can still function but <clears throat> they've, they've got to submit their agendas and uh, they won't be able to carry on as they've been carrying on yes. but certainly um, in some of my works I've <clears throat> excuse me, I've, I've covered the, um, the, the role of uh, the, the major families who've um, run the world really for their own benefit and uh, covered the world in oil and gas pipelines and yes. many of the wars have been about these pipelines including the, the one in Syria where there's a pipeline from Qatar that is is behind it all one of the issues and of course Afghanistan was a pipeline yes yes um, I mean one of the things I really enjoyed about your book is you're connecting um, a kind of spiritual dimension to the world of a kind of world culture, politics, and all these seven um, disciplines you're talking about. Can you say something about this connection? Because very few authors I've read about actually connect these dimensions. Yes. Um, universalism, which I'll expand on later perhaps, um, is, is the philosophy of you. I wrote The New Philosophy of Universalism, uh, one of my books, um, is, is, is a view that the whole of human humankind and and of course the universe is a unity fundamentally one and so if you start um with that view that the whole of the universe and humankind is a unity then in each discipline there are consequences and so in philosophy you're looking at uh, you're looking at philosophy from the point of the universe not logic and language the vienna circle how philosophy has gone recently but the role of the human being in relation to the universe with its up-to-date knowledge. Mm. Um, and uh, in history, you're looking at the whole of the history of humankind. So every civilization that's ever been is one field of study. It's not just the history of the UK or the history of France or wherever. Um, it, it's, it's seeing it as a whole and... Um, this this extends into mysticism, where in an earlier book, The Fire and the Stones, I went through every experience of the fire or light, the mystic experience, um, during the last 5,000 5, years. They're all um, dealt with in that work. 
Um, and I try to show that all the civilizations began with this inner vision. Um, Muhammad sees the fire, um, the, the, the first page of the Quran with uh, surrounded by fire, and out of his inner vision comes the Quran. And this is so in all the religions, Christ, the light of the world, and uh, the Buddha, uh, the enlightened one. Mm. Many, many uh, civilizations have this same same link. Yeah. So um, the one ripples out into all the seven disciplines. And uh, we've got mysticism, we've got literature. I've written a book um, on uh, how, how sort of trying, trying to show that all world literature has one fundamental theme. So treating the whole of world literature as one. Um, and philosophy, I've mentioned history, uh, I've mentioned comparative religion. All religions can be connected to um, one fundamental experience, like going up the top of a mountain and seeing the sun, many yes. parts up the mountain. Yes. There's international philosophy and statecraft, and there's, there's culture. And in all these, there's been a kind of split between the traditional approach, which contains a metaphysical element, and a modern approach, which is uh, secular, often militantly secular, as in the case of Richard Dawkins in science. Yeah. And um, universalism is, is, is trying to bring these two opposite, uh, opposites together um, in um, each discipline so that there can be one fundamentally unified world culture ready for the world state I was talking about earlier. I should just add, if I may, that when I was a professor in Japan in the 1960s, I met Jun Saburo Nishiwaki, who was Professor Emeritus at my university. And, mm. um, he was the T.S. Eliot of Japan, who wrote January in Kyoto, a very influential Jap Jap Japanese poem in 1921, I think it was, 22, about the same time as Eliot's Wasteland. And mm. um, he took me for sake in a, a restaurant and said, what's your view of the wisdom of the East? And I said, well, what's your view? And he took a business reply card I had and he wrote in it, plus A, plus minus A, equals zero. And over zero, he wrote great nothing. And I immediately saw what he was saying, that the wisdom of the East is to unify or reconcile all opposites. And there are many, many opposites. You can think of day and night and life and death and... In Blake's poetry, the songs of innocence and songs of experience, it, it crops up everywhere, this sort of di division which I've been talking about in the seven disciplines. Yeah. And um, there has to be some sort of a great nothing, a zero, that unifies it all, and that's the role of universalism. Because, of course, in the East, nothingness is a something, it's a plenitude, it's a fullness. Mm. Um, in, in my metaphysics, as the book shows in the relevant chapter, um, metaphysics traditionally has four levels, and it begin, the universe, if you like, be began with a nothingness, which is a fullness, in the Eastern way of looking, and it became non-being, and then being, and then existence, and um, all these layers are reflected in the disciplines in the works of the past. And it's not good enough to say, right, we're in the 21st century now and we're just not taking account of what the Greek philosophers thought and what the others thought because 
we are materialists and we're, we don't believe in anything. Yes. And I would just add that in one of the surveys um, that I quote in the book, 7.33 billion people in humankind, incredibly 5.8 billion are metaphysical and have a religion, all Hindus and the Buddhists and mm. um, and at the hi- highest, only 1.1 are non-religious. I think 0.8 billion are atheists. There are different surveys and you can find them in the book. But what it means is that um, only one in six has this, of humankind, has this secular social um, view that, uh, that, for example, Dawkins has, that as Dawkins paid for an advert on a bus, God does not exist. Mm. Um, that sort of militant um, atheism is, is a very small minority of humankind. Um, so six, six to one, the metaphysicals outnumber the seculars at present. And so that's part of the thinking why I, f- I feel it's important to reunify world culture, that we're in danger of having one-sixth uh, dictating the terms of world culture to five-sixths, and that's not right. Yes. With, with this all-important term of universalism and kind of greater unity, do, is there not a danger also of kind of... Um, uh, you know, if, if, for example, you have this uh, one world culture of a McDonald's in every corner type of thing, or a Nando's, you know, in every, you know, this kind of um, corporatization of the world. That uh, is down to the government. As I see it, the um, every nation state, and nation states lead to war, unfortunately, and the, the UN has failed to prevent 162 wars since 1945. So in my lifetime, I've lived through 162 wars that the UN couldn't prevent because it's not supranational. It's on the same level as the nation states, and it's a kind of talking shop with vetoes. So um, as as I see it, all the nation states in the world, 193 or however many there are of them, would um, retain their internal independence as now. But there would be a kind of federal element, as in the USA, uh, the states are internally independent, but externally they subscribe to the federal element. And the federal element would have an agenda which would include abolishing war, Mm. so Syria couldn't happen, um, enforcing disarmament, so the... Um, 15,350 nuclear weapons in the world today. Um, Russia and America have over 6,000 of each. Um, Russia has 7,000, actually. All these would be impounded and uh, controlled. There would be a kind of world army enforcing this. Mm. And there would be um, sort of abolishing disease, abolishing famine, abolishing poverty. There would be all sorts of programs. And those philanthropic um, governors of, of the world would would be sort of doing exactly the same fundamental thinking on what you were just describing, McDonald's and Nando's and so on. And yes. um, as, as I see it, the, there would be 850 um, elected representatives for a democratic lower house, which I would like to see based on the UN General Assembly. Mm. In other words, I I want to turn the UN General Assembly into a lower house Mm. with all the people elected. 
So, and, and the my book, The World Government, spells out all the constituencies, my suggestion. And I'm in the process of, uh, there's a new body, a new think tank um, being just being created. In fact, it's created in four weeks' time. I was told last week, so it's in five weeks' time, so it's four weeks' time, um, to look at the UN's constitution and see how it can be changed to make it more effective in controlling world events so Syria can't happen. Right. And um, I've been asked if I will um, make presentations and be in touch with them and help them with their work. And So this is looking at the status of the UN, and I shall be saying I would like to see the UN General Assembly turned into a lower house. I see an upper house, a World Senate of 92, hmm. and a World Commission um, of 27, um, and I've set out in the world government all the various constituencies as a proposal. And I've also written a constitution for uh, a new UN um, which uh, has, has become a united federation of the world. In other words, all the a federation is a group of nation states. So every nation state would retain its independence in a federation, but there would be this federal element above, which would mean that uh, there could be more global uh, control over things like war, all the bad things, to make a better world for our grandchildren. Yes, well, that's a, that's, a, that's an amazing vision, one I'd love to see come about. Um, but the, the core idea of the book is that it really is America's destiny to create this political world state and help us abolish war, famine, disease, poverty. But I guess some would argue that America does seem to be doing the exact opposite at the moment. And you, you did mention that, you know, they they are they have been pursuing war after 9-11. And um, the, also the idea of exp exporting the American dream to the whole of humanity doesn't fill everyone with glee. You know, I was recently in America, actually, and I saw their, the kind of idea of capitalism, um, but without really socialism as a balance that we have in Europe. What what do you say about that? Because uh, uh, that slightly worries me. I must say. Yes, it's it's not exporting the American way of life. It's exporting um, a, a structure of the world that would allow um, poverty to be turned into prosperity at each local level. So it's not an export of of things American. Right. It's uh, it's a liberation, if you like, of humankind from all these constraints, um, such as poverty, disease, famine, yes. um, war, um, the threat of nuclear weapons. Um, so that's that's how I see it happening. Um, the <clears throat> Sorry, uh, can you go back to the second part of your question? Yes, I, mean, I was saying that. Um, <clears throat> well, the first, well, the first part was really about what America hasn't really been giving a, an ideal example on the world stage by mm -hmm. pursuing war. But the second bit around, ex I, I think I read in the book about America will export the American dream to all of humanity, and the way I took that was um, yes. that didn't sound like a great thing to me. I was in San Francisco recently and I saw incredible homelessness. Uh, yes. You know, the idea of capitalism where s socialism seemed al almost like communism, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that was my um, kind of worry about that. Yes, I, I agree with your worries completely. And I'd just like to add something. The, there has to be a great power behind it to make it happen. And yeah. America seems the obvious one. And the Clintons traditionally, certainly Bill Clinton, um, 
like Obama, very interested in, 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 in doing things for the whole world. And so if Hillary Clinton wins on the maths on Tuesday, mm. uh, although the surge, if you like, is with Trump, yeah. uh, but the maths, uh, all the various, so California having 55 and Florida 29 and so on, on, on the maths she might just get through. So, so that's, um, that, that's where I was thinking on America. But Russia is also a possibility. And as um, you can read towards the end of the book, I have been involved in the World Philosophical Forum. Um, and last year, I set up a world state, the universal state of the earth, mm. just to show that it can be done. I think it's a page and a half on this in the book. Mm. And this has gone forward, and uh, it's created various institutions. So I've done it with a Russian, Igor Kondrashin. Mm. And... Um, at the, in the October conference, which I chaired, um, the Supreme Council of Humanity is a body that that, that has been thrown up by by this, uh, and um, the Supreme Council of Humanity is right now um, holding a peace initiative for Syria, which I am chairing. Right. And if you if you go to glob-use.org you'll see the the paperwork for this and the list of countries that have to report. And they've got until November the 15th and supposed to be um, a, a gathering in Athens to get a ceasefire and a no-fly zone in Syria. Now, um, I have very good Russian contacts through this um, body. Mm. And it could be that in the future that just as Churchill in 1950 saw Russia as being one of four pillars for the world state that he was calling for, a democratic world state in 1950 in Denmark, just mm. as I'm speaking now. I mean, Churchill has, has been there before me. Mm. Um, it could be that, that Russia, after it's got Syria sorted out, um, could be a part of this. And that's what I, what I hope, that, that through my Russian contacts, we can bring Russia on board on this. So it's not just exclusively America, but something has to be done. Um, Syria's gone on longer than the First World War or the Second World War, mm. and um, it, it needs somebody to say, and the lot has fallen to me, I'm not quite sure why, um, somebody to say to all the, the combatants, what do you want? You can't have the whole cake. You can have part of it. There can be democratic elections. You can take part in those. But get real, you just you can't have everybody just flattening cities and mm. killing 250,000 people mm. in the hope of getting the whole cake, because it's just not going to happen. Yes. Um, so it, whether, that, whether anything will come of this, I don't know, but it's worth a try. Yes, I hope, yes. because um, people have been pointing towards Russia and also China as a potential next superpower. Absolutely, uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. One's talking um, in... In the world government, I draw up constituencies within China, within Russia. Uh, every part of the world is is reflected in this democratic world state that, as I say, um, has been called for since 1945, although not so much recently. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the fact that uh, ISIS have been reported to have 40 tons of nuclear material mm. that they took from Mosul University, which is probably behind the present uh, battle, to try and recover that. Yes. And they're trying to make that into a dirty bomb, which they can let off in a Western capital. 
I think that's concentrated minds. And just as 1945 concentrated Truman's mind and um, Einstein's mind, so uh, the fact that I, ISIS have 40 tons of nuclear material has also concentrated minds today. And there must be a better way of governing the world than the, the way we're doing now, which is just a lot of nation states squabbling, and 162 wars since 1945, and nobody able to stop it. There's got to be a stronger setup as this think tank is now exploring, and long overdue, Brilliant. not before time. Brilliant. Well, um, anyone listening to this, the book is The Secret American Destiny by Nicholas Hager, The Hidden Order of the Universe and the Seven Disciplines of World Culture, and I'll be putting a link out with this podcast. And Nicholas, thank you for talking with me. It's been a fascinating chat, I must say. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And thank you very much for bearing with me to all those who've been listening. Like what you've heard? Be part of our community by visiting watkinspublishing.com, following us on Twitter at Watkins Wisdom or liking us on Facebook. Facebook.